0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Again, Father, we're thankful for your love and mercy and grace. We're thankful for the opportunity to assemble together, Lord, as a body of believers interested in praising you, Lord, and studying your word. I pray for the next little while as we open the truth of your scripture, you would speak clearly to us, Father. I pray you would keep us free from distractions and all the things in the world that hinder us from seeing you so clearly. And I I pray, Lord, that as we hear and listen and study, Lord, that you would just speak clearly to our hearts and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It's an exciting week here. And in case you haven't already noticed, it's a little bit different. was able to meet several first-time guests this morning, and I find myself kind of repeating the same thing. It's not usually like this, right? It's not usually like this at Rosemont. This is VBS week, and so we do things a little bit different. We kind of go overboard, and we decorate. If you'd been up here at all this week, you would have seen all sorts of people coming and going, scurrying around, decorating rooms. And I'll encourage you, if you don't have kids or you're first-time guests, make yourself at home after the service. Just kind of walk through the building to see all the work that's been done and all the things that have gone into it. But we do it for one reason. Because we want to share Christ with these kids. And when we spend the time to show them that it's important to us, guess what? It becomes important to them. And so we spend the time and the money and the effort because we're going to have probably three or 400 kids pass through these doors over the next several days. A large majority of those kids are our kids, but there are always quite a few that have never heard about Jesus. And so we get the opportunity through the the blessings of the Lord, to share Christ with these kids for five straight days, starting today, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night. So you be in prayer for all that these kids are going to hear. You be in prayer for all that our teachers are going to share. Because I'm always encouraged by the results of the VBS, and I always wonder what we're going to see in eternity, right? What are we going to hear the stories that the Lord tells us? Adam, you didn't know this, but during this week, this little kid heard about Christ, and he grew up to be this, and he led this many people to Jesus, and he impacted the kingdom. That's what we're about. So you be in prayer for those kids, you be in prayer for all that's going on. I started thinking this week, it's kind of interesting how the Lord works. I had planned on preaching 1 Peter 3.15, that's the verse for this week. So I started Monday morning kind of praying through it, thinking through it, and working through it, and, and getting my outline ready, and Friday rolled around, and I usually spend Friday, Saturday, and I kind of finishing up, and I and taking away, and Friday I just didn't have a piece about it. So I set the whole thing aside and felt like the Lord was calling me to preach something else. I got to church this morning and Derek, who did our Sunday school lesson, said, Hey, by the way, I'm going to teach on 1 Peter 3.15 in Sunday school. Is that okay with you? I was like, that's great. And I'm so glad I didn't do it because you would have heard it in Sunday school and you would have heard, heard the better version in Sunday school and then you would have heard me get up here and muddle through it during the service. But the Lord directed me to do something different this morning and I started thinking about all that he's given us with these kids I started thinking about the resources that he's given us with these kids and, and, and how important they are to him and I started thinking about the world that they live in. I have four little children, those of you that may not know, one i was a teenager now. She turned thirteen this week. Yeah, oh thank you for the groans. That's very encouraging. <laughs> very encouraging for the next few years. But I started thinking about how difficult it is to raise kids and how difficult it is for these kids in the world that they live in. And I wrote something down that I think is very true. And I said this in my notes. We live in a world that literally fights us for the hearts and minds of our children. And I believe that with all my heart. If you have kids, you have grandkids, you know how difficult it is. You know how much of a struggle it can be. And here's the challenge for believers if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've got little kids in the home or you have grandkids or, or, or ne- nieces and nephews and you have some influence over kids, you understand that not only is your call to raise these kids, but your call as a believer is to raise them in a godly home, right? And that's even a bigger responsibility. And so I, I look out across the landscape of parenting and, and, I, and I see Amy and I kind of in the same boat sometimes. I see this large group of, of believers that have children. And we have this desire to raise our children in a godly home. But as often is the case with so many parents, they desire to raise their kids in a godly home. They're just not quite sure how to do it, right? They desire to do it. Man, I want my kid to grow up and be godly and I want them to serve the Lord. I want them to follow Christ and all things, but I'm just not quite sure how to do it. Timothy Paul Jones, who's a professor at Southern Seminary, summed it up like this. I think he's exactly right. He said, it seems that parents may intend to develop their children spiritually, but they simply do not know how to engage personally in the discipleship of their children. It's a great calling to raise godly children, but it's a very difficult thing to do. I was reading through some notes this week and some writings by some pretty famous evangelists, and I came across a quote by Dwight L. Moody. It kind of challenged me a little bit in my thinking. Dwight L. Moody said this, if I could relive my life, now that would be an interesting thing to think about, wouldn't it? If I could relive my life, I would devote my entire ministry to reaching children for God. Hmm. I think that's a pretty big deal. And So I want to think for just a little while this morning about God's plan for the family. So I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, if you've been with us long enough, you'll know that I've talked about this before. This is not the first time we've examined Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I'm just reminded sometimes that even though we say it, and even though we've read it, and even though we've preached through it, it doesn't mean we're all doing it, right? And so I think it's good to be reminded, and I thought, what better day to remind us of all our calling in life as parents and what the Lord has challenged us to do with our children and with our families and on the morning we start VBS. So we're going to examine Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning. Just a little bit of background about this particular passage of scripture written by Moses 14, 15, 1600 years before the birth of Jesus Christ and it's known as the Shema which to the Jewish person is a very, very important part of their daily walk. So they spend time every day, a devout Jew would read this passage of Scripture and pray through this exact passage of Scripture, at least in the morning and at least in the evening. And they would frame everything about their faith and everything about their walk and everything about their family from this particular passage of Scripture. So it's been important for a few thousand years to the Jewish people. And I think as we study it this morning, we're going to understand why it ought to be important to us still today. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to focus on the first five verses. We had it on the screen. You can follow along in your Bibles as well. Just a, just a, a side note very quickly. If you, were to, you don't have to do this, but if you were to flip back in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Lord has just given Moses the Ten Commandments. Now this is kind of a, 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 a recap of what you're going to see in Exodus. If you read through Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments, this is kind of a recap of that. Deuteronomy chapter 5, he recaps the Ten Commandments. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord's going to talk about these commands. So when we read the first four words there, these are the commands. He's talking about the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5. So the words of the Lord. These are the commands, decrees, and laws. The Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. In other words, you're going to go across the Jordan River, if you remember the history of the Jewish people, They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years when the Lord was ready for them to cross. They crossed the Jordan River into the promised land to live their life. Verse 2, so that you, your children and their children... Now, there's a progression there. There's kind of generational idea here that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Now, verse 3, hear, O Israel... And be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Verse 4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. And we're going to stop there this morning and think through these few verses and think through God's plan for the family. And here's the first truth I want you to understand, and I'm going to pull out of this, and we're going to think through this just a little bit, It'll form the foundation of what we're going to cover in the next few verses. But here's point number one. You need to get this. This is foundational. Point number one, families are foundational to God's plan. Families are foundational to God's plan. You need to understand something. The family unit wasn't an afterthought for the Lord. It wasn't as if he just woke up one day and kind of thought through things and, and didn't really know which direction he wanted to go and thought, you know what, I think, I think I'm going to form the family and then give them a, a very clear calling. You need to understand, from the beginning, God's plan has been to use the family to share his glory with all the world. And so I want to kind of think through this just a little bit. I want to walk through some portions of Scripture. You're welcome to turn with me if you want to. You're welcome just to listen. But I want to flip back to Genesis chapter 1 just for a couple of minutes, and I want to think through all the Lord's done. If you're going to understand the family unit, and you're going to understand the Lord's calling placed upon the family, you need to back all the way up to the beginning. Because as I said a few minutes ago, It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't as if God woke up one morning and wasn't quite sure what he wanted to do. God has had a plan from the beginning. We pinpoint it in Genesis chapter 1. So let me just fill you in on what happens in Genesis chapter 1 if you're not familiar. God creates the heavens. God creates the earth. And God looks upon everything and he sees that it was good. It was perfect. In fact, he says that over and over again in Scripture. So there's this idea in Genesis chapter 1 and on into Genesis chapter 2 that sin had not yet entered the world. But as part of creation, as kind of his crowning achievement, God creates husband and wife. He creates Adam and Eve and he creates them, as the scripture tells us, in his own image. So for example, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. God blessed them and said to them. Now, this is the beginning of time. God has created a husband. He's created a wife. He's blessing them. And I want you to listen to what he says. Here's the calling of the family in Genesis chapter 1. Be fruitful and increase the number; increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea the birds in the sky, and every other living creature that moves on the ground. See, the family for the Lord was foundational. He created the family in the very beginning, husband and wife, and he gave them a very clear calling. Go, multiply, subdue the earth, and basically display my glory to all the world. Now, I just feel like this is an opportunity to say something. I don't want to get on a side note here, and I'm not looking to kind of preach a sermon on this idea, but if we're honest about this, marriage, very clearly in Scripture, is one man and one woman. We see that here. Now, there are plenty of people in society that disagree with that, and sometimes it's very easy to be swayed. I just want to encourage you, as followers of Jesus Christ, we got to live by the Bible, not by society. And I feel like I need to tag something onto that. If somebody disagrees with you on this point, you ought to love them anyway. I think that's one of the big failures of Christianity in our world if we were honest with each other. Just because somebody disagrees with what you think in Scripture doesn't mean you need to hate them or make fun of them or talk badly about them. That's not what Christ would have us to do. But I think if we're going to be fair to the teaching of Scripture, this is marriage and this is the family unit and it's one man and it's one woman. I want to remind you of something. When God created Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 and on in Genesis chapter 2, the earth at this point was without sin. Right, No sin had entered the world. No mistakes had been made. Everybody was living in perfect harmony and the creation of the Lord and families lived together in harmony, which means that if you think through this a little bit, if things had continued the way the Lord desired them to continue, moms and dads would never have fought, right? They never would have gotten in disagreements. They never would have divorced. Children would have loved parents perfectly. Parents would have loved children perfectly. Brothers and sisters would not have fought. Amen to that, right? For those that have multiple children, that would have been nice. God creates everything in perfect order and in perfect harmony. And the world had yet to understand sin. But Genesis 3, everything changes. The Bible explains to us through this process of Adam and Eve and the fruit that they eat that sin enters the world. And at this very moment in Genesis chapter 3, everything's going to change. And so this perfect family unit that the Lord had created, a husband and wife, the idea of being fruitful and multiply, no sin, no disease, no divorce, no argument, no problems within the family unit. When sin enters the world, everything's going to change, right? Because at this point, because of the sinfulness in the world within the family, enter problems right? Inner divorce, inner arguments, inner disagreements, inner abuse, inner not loving, children are disobedient, they're not respectful, parents are harsh. In the worst kind of situations we can think of, that can be evil, right? And we understand those scenarios and we've seen those things with our own eyes and we know the problem that sin causes in our world. Because there's sin in the world, there are problems within the family, You know, we can talk about all the reasons that dynamics within the family go wrong, and there are all kinds of reasons we can diagnose that, and there are all kinds of things we could say about it. But at the root of the problem within every family is sinfulness. So I want to encourage you here just for a second. If you're struggling within your marriage, here's my encouragement to you. Start by looking in the mirror and figuring out what you need to get right with the Lord. I just have this sense as I talk to couples over and over and over, if, if one or both of these couples would look in the mirror and be honest with themselves about their life in Christ, if they would figure out the plank in their own eye first before they worried about the speck in their spouse's eye, I just have this sense that the Lord would bless that marriage. But God's plan from the beginning was to use the family. So He created the family. He created the family unit and sin enters the world and things begin to change. And so God's got to come up with this plan, Right? Everything was perfect, sin enters the world, and so God's got this plan for redemption. How is he going to now bring all these people that were in harmony with each other, in harmony with him, living the way they should have lived, how is he now going to bring them back into right relationship with him? Well, Jesus Christ comes, and we know the story. But it's interesting if you think about how that began and how God's plan to work through the family played itself out. I'll remind you of a very interesting story in Genesis chapter 12. The Bible says that Abraham was a righteous man. And the Lord goes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and he says to him, I want you to listen to the words. Go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. So Abraham, you need to just kind of move on. I'm going to show you where you can stop, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God's plan of redemption begins with a man and his family, right? Abraham, you go and you be obedient, you go and you listen. You go and follow me and do all the things I've called you to do, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless your family, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. See, families are not only foundational to God's plan, but they were also foundational to His plan of redemption, right? Because you can trace the lineage now, if you were thinking through this, As far as the scriptures teach and exactly where Jesus came from, you can follow the path through the genealogy of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, eventually all the way to Jesus. So see, we need to understand as we kind of think through this a little bit in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the family wasn't an afterthought. The family was God's plan from the beginning. That's why it's so discouraging to me to see how our society attacks families. You know, sometimes we wonder why all the attacks on families and why is it so difficult. I think very clearly Satan understands the importance of the family. It's often been said that a family can exist without a nation, but a nation cannot exist without the families. I think that's right. The fabric of society is built upon the home. Just as the Lord designed it to be, families are a big deal. And so we need to be very careful, moms and dads, that we guard our hearts against the world, right? We need to be very careful that we don't allow the things of the world into the heart of our families, to our children, into our living rooms. We need to be careful that we keep at arm's length those wolves that are disguised in sheep's clothing that try to get into our heart and get into our soul and disrupt the things that go on because the devil understands that families are foundational. The devil understands if he can destroy the family, he can destroy the church. And if he can destroy the church, he believes he can destroy Christianity. So families are foundation. and let's continue to think through this a little bit. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord God has directed me to teach, teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you and again here's this idea of generational so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. now watch this, as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear Israel, verse 3, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Here's the second truth. Not only are families foundational to the Lord's plan for history, but number two, families should obey the Lord. It's very clear. As families and followers of Jesus Christ, we ought to be willing to obey the commands of the Lord. Now I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. I think this is crucial. And if you're taking notes, you need to write this down. For a family to obey the Lord, it must begin with the dad. That's my heart's conviction. Now, if you're in a home where there is no dad, then the mom has to do it, and God bless you, you need to do it, and that's your calling. But I think the Lord has made it clear that the dad ought to be the one that leads. So men, if you're in a place in the home where you're not the spiritual leader, you need to step up to the plate. How many homes are dominated by a man who's not interested in leading spiritually? How many homes are dominated by a man that won't take the initiative to lead his kids in the things of Christ? How many homes are dominated by a man that's just absent when it comes to the life of church? I mean, I'm convinced that if our families are going to obey the Lord, it needs to begin with us. You ought to lead in praying for your family. Your wife shouldn't have to do it every time. There's nothing wrong with your wife, but she should pray. Don't hear me saying that. But you need to be praying and leading your family. You need to lead when it's time for bed and it's time for prayers. You ought to be leading that. You ought to be the leader in your home when it comes to studying the Word of God. There shouldn't be a home where the father is absent when it comes to the Word of God. Your children should never be able to say, I, you know, Dad doesn't really ever talk much about Christ, or he doesn't really ever open the Word of God. It's not our calling in Scripture, man. You ought to lead when it comes to church attendance. It shouldn't be the wife's responsibility or the kid's responsibility to encourage you to go. You need to be encouraging them to go. I've said this several times, and if you heard me say it, Forgive me for saying, but I grew up at home where there was never discussion about church. We just went. (laughs) I never one time on a Saturday night said to Dad, are we going to go tomorrow? We just Every time, we just went. And sure, there were mornings I didn't want to go, right? There were mornings I didn't want to do that. I grew up in a small little church with no youth group, right? No cool kids, including me, right? There was nothing there to do. But guess what happened every Sunday morning? My father was faithful to get up and put on his suit and tie, and load us in the car, and we went. I mean, if our families are going to lead and obey the Lord, it needs to begin with us. You see, God wants the best for your family. And we bind to this lie that the things of the world are so much better than the things of Christ. That's not what the Lord teaches. The Lord says, if you want to be blessed, you obey me. You live your life based on the standards of the Word of God. Now look at verse 3. It's very interesting what happens here. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that. Right? Bring that verse back up if you would, please, verse 3, if you can do that for me, Kevin. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that. In other words, there's this reason. If you have little children, sometimes you 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 find yourself, and we try not to do this a lot, but you get into this discussion, you ask them to do something, they want to know why. <laughs> We tr- nobody's laughing at that because you know you deal with it, right? That's not funny, Adam. That is not funny. You get this. go, why? Why do I have to do that? And for us, it kind of whittles down something to the Lord eventually because the Lord wants you to do it, okay? That's enough. Discussion's over, right? But the Lord tells us you need to obey so that, look at the word, so that it may go well with you. What a neat promise. If you'll just seek me, the Lord says, if you'll be careful to obey what I command, it will go well with you. And then you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord the God of your ancestors promised you, right? If you'll listen to what I say, if you'll live your life based on the truth of the Word of God, if you'll follow me, if you'll just obey my teachings, then things will go well with you. I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. This is a verse we quote to our children a lot. Ephesians 6.1 says this, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Now listen to verse 3. So that, now speaking to the kids, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on this earth. When kids obey parents and the family's functioning the way it ought to function under the umbrella of the Word of God, guess what? Things go well, don't they? That doesn't mean we're not going to face problems. That doesn't mean we're not going to face issues. That doesn't mean there's going to be a rocky road. But it means we have a peace and a foundation upon which we can walk when we face those problems. Ted Tripp, who wrote a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Some of you are familiar with him and have read that book. If you're looking for one parenting book to read, you ought to read that one. Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. But he talks about this verse And he talks about how when we kids obey their parents, it kind of puts them... He uses this idea and he draws this little picture. There's this umbrella of protection. That's what he calls it. And he says when a kid will obey his parents, he stands under that umbrella of protection. Because the Lord promises if you'll listen and obey your parents, things will go well with you. When you step outside of that umbrella of protection, things may not go well with you. Starting with punishment, right? That's what we usually tell our kids. My kids are not in here now, so I can use one of them as an example. One of my children—I'm not going to tell you who— one of my 13-year-old, but one of my kids last night did something they weren't supposed to do, and she's not in here, so I'm going to tell it because it's funny. But don't you tell her I said it, <laughs> please. She'll get so frustrated. One of my—I don't tell you who—bought one of these little eggs. I mean, it's just a silly little egg, and it's a fake egg, and when you throw it, it looks like it splats. Now she'd been wanting these things for weeks. So she saved her money up. It was like two whole dollars, right? But for a kid, that's a lot of it. She saves her money up. You can't tell her this. I'm telling you, you better not tell her. I've said this. She saved her. She saved her money up. And she got this two dollar egg. Well, she's throwing. The first thing she does is throw it on the wall. It splats and leaves this mark, right? I'm like, oh, we just moved into a new house. I'm not happy about that, right? Get the egg off the wall, honey. Do not. I was real calm. Don't you know? Don't do this. Not a big. You know? Don't throw the egg. You can splat it on the ground and outside. Well, the egg springs a leak, right? So it's just it's just cheap little springs a leak. And so it's leaking stuff, and I'm just, you know my my level here now. There's stuff on the floor and. So we get all the junk out, right? We've had this long conversation about the egg. And it's about 9, 15, and Amy and I are in the back in the living room, and I hear her out front just bawling, wailing away. And it, with four kids, you know, sometimes you're like, you know, whatever, goodness. I mean, really? So Amy and I were looking, you know, you. All right, so I get up. I get up. It's really not that bad. We care about our kids. They're safe, I promise. So we get, we get out of the front living room, and there's this egg, and it is stuck to the wall above the door, way away from her reach. And she's just sobbing, bless her heart. And she said, I'm in so much trouble. And I said, honey, I was, I mean, I, I'm sure I was this calm at that moment, I'm sure. I said, honey. I told you not to throw that egg. She said, I didn't throw it. I said, what'd you do? I slingshotted it from the balcony. (laughs) So we had a few words. And I reminded her of this umbrella of protection. Honey, when you listen to Daddy, (laughs) and you'll do what Daddy says, you can stay under this umbrella of protection. But when you disobey Daddy, you step outside of that umbrella and things don't go well with you, right? That's what the Scripture says. I think sometimes we miss that with that umbrella of protection, right? We just don't think the Lord can do anything. We step outside of his will all the time. He's very clear. If you'll obey me, if you'll do and say the things I've called you to do and say things will go well with you, right? Now, here's the difficult part in following Christ. Christ doesn't say, follow me only if things do go well. Sometimes we get to this point where, Lord, I'm going to follow you as long as things are going right. But the minute something doesn't go right, Lord, I'm not going to follow you anymore. You do for me, I'll do for you. That's not the teaching of the word of God. God says, even when things don't go the way you want them to go, you follow me anyway. You trust me anyway. So God's got a plan for families. He wants families to obey him. He wants to lead them. And then finally, look at verse 4 and 5 again. We're going to finish up this morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Here's the third truth and maybe the most important. If you're going to take one thing from this, point number three, families should love the Lord. That's our calling I love when you begin to think through the calling of a family and all the family should accomplish and all the family should do and we start thinking through all these things and there are so many things we've got to do as a family and so many things we want our kids to accomplish and we want them to do and we want them to be successful. All those things have a place and I'm not against those things. But the biggest thing we ought to be teaching our kids to do is love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. That's the teaching of Scripture. If you want a foundational understanding of what you ought to be doing as a parent, teach your kids to love the Lord. There it is right there in black and white, so clear. Maybe they can be good in sports, that's fine, nothing wrong with that. Maybe they can make straight A's, that's great. We, we cheer that and we hope that happens. Maybe they can be successful in life, maybe they, maybe they can be popular, but just hear me what I'm about to say this, okay? All those things fall under the importance of loving the Lord. If you've got a kid that makes straight A's, is a great ball player, does all the things the world tells him he ought to do and doesn't love the Lord, you haven't done what Christ has called you to do. That's a hard pill for a lot of people to follow, to swallow. But I just want you to see the teaching of Scripture. And so you begin to ask yourself, great, okay, so I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to obey the Lord, I understand that families are foundational, and I'm called to love the Lord. How in the world can I teach my family to love the Lord? That's a, that's a tall order, Adam. That's a very difficult thing. How am I supposed to teach the kids to love the Lord? There's one very simple way you can do it. You love the Lord first and they'll follow you. It's that simple. If you don't love the Lord with all your heart, don't expect your children to love the Lord with all their heart. You want to teach your children to obey and to follow and to love the Lord, then you need to love the Lord. You know, I'm a huge college football fan. Some of you guys know that about me, and I know a lot of you are college football fans. But the reason I'm a college football fan is I grew up in a house where my dad loved college football. He loved the University of Georgia. My uncle loved the University of Georgia. And so from the time I can remember, I was going to Georgia games and watching Georgia games and cheering Herschel Walker on and all the things that some of us have done for our favorite teams. The reason I love college football and I love Georgia is because my dad did. You want to teach your kid to love the Lord? Then you love the Lord. Look yourself in the mirror. Father, what do I need to do to love you more? What do I need to do to follow you more? What do I need to do to be the example for my kids every moment of every day in this house so that they will grow up loving you with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and with all their strength? I want to finish by reading a quote from a very famous writer. G.K. Chesterton, an Englishman. You may have heard the name. I want to read something he wrote about a book that was related to parenting. Here's his assessment, and I want to finish with this idea and this thought. He said, We tend to have trained soldiers because they fight better. Trained singers because they sing better. Trained dancers because they dance better. Yet our civilization has decided and very justly so, that determining the guilt or innocence of a man is a thing too important to be trusted to train men. When it wishes for light upon that awful matter, it asks men who know no more law than I know, but can feel the things that I have felt in the jury box. When it wants a library catalogued or the solar system discovered or any trifle of that kind, it uses up its specialists. When it wishes anything done which is really serious, it collects 12 of the ordinary men standing round. The same thing was done, if I remember right, by the founder of Christianity. He goes on to say, A similar statement might be made regarding the training of children in the Christian faith Though professionals may partner with parents in this task, such a vast and serious undertaking as a child's discipleship is too significant to be relinquished completely to professionals. God has selected specific, ordinary people for this assignment, and these people are known as mom and dad. The primary formation of a child's faith is not a job for specialists, it's a job for parents. So here's the question I leave you with today, mom, dad, grandma, granddad, and uncle. Are you willing to follow the Lord in all things? Are you willing to obey him regardless of the cost? Are you willing to lead by loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because I want to promise you one thing. God is calling our children to do incredible things in this world. Here's the question you have to answer. What are you doing to prepare your kids for the work the Lord's called them to? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word as always. It's clear and it's understandable, Lord, and it speaks truth into our hearts and into our lives, Father. So I just pray as we kind of digest this, Lord, it may have challenged us on some level, I pray it did, Lord. It may have convicted us on some level, I pray it did, but, Lord, I pray right now that if we fall under conviction or we're challenged, Lord, that we wouldn't be upset with you or with me, Lord, because we know this is truth. I pray instead, Father, that you would give us the ability and the opportunity, Father, to process this to become more godly. Help this to allow us to grow in our faith. Help, this to become, help us to become more and more the men and women of God. You called us to be the parents, Lord, to be the, the guardian, to be the foster parent, Lord, to be the grandmother to be the aunt, whatever that might look like, whatever opportunity we have in this life to influence children. Father, help us to do it so these kids see you and above all things, Lord, help them to grow up loving you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. You can stand. We're gonna give you the opportunity to come and respond at the altar. Maybe you wanna pray here. Maybe you wanna pray where you are. Maybe you've been convicted of your sinfulness and want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior or maybe you want to join the church. This is your time to respond as we sing together. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the contact us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.